0: Millennials and Gen Z expect a lot out of their work because right now they're being asked to do it all day every day, right? So if you're you're in a world where you are just connected to your work 24-7, then yeah, it's fair to expect that it's a positive experience.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Future of Work Project. My name is Derek Franco, And it is my great pleasure to introduce you to this program dedicated to bringing together smart and thoughtful leaders and innovators experimenting with new and unique ways of working. From remote work and culture to research into the peak performance of human beings, we'll learn alongside these experts pushing the boundaries today. And with that said, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Mr. Warren Lebovics. Warren has an amazing background working in design and product management. He's worked for large companies like Blackberry and Sony, but also led design at a startup that was acquired by LinkedIn. But it's his other projects that he's worked on that give him a very unique insight into work today and where it's heading tomorrow. During our discussion, Warren and I will look at how curiosity and passion are the catalyst for doing amazing things. We'll also take a deeper look into culture and how his past companies like LinkedIn succeeded by investing in their people and their environment. And finally, we'll dive into how today's workers have been affected by technology and an always-on mindset. And with that said, it is my great pleasure to welcome my good friend, Mr. Warren Lebovix. Thank you for being here, Warren.
0: Derek, thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah I, I'm still I'm super, super flattered by it.
1: No, thank you. Really, I kind of wanted to start the conversation with uh, a story. Um, yeah. And you know the story I want to dive into, I, I can see it on your face already. Um, it's kind of the first time that we dove into a deep conversation together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know to give a little background, I uh, was the founding engineer of a company called uh, Jumpstart. And uh, we'd actually just stolen Warren away uh, from LinkedIn at the time, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: uh, I can't remember—I don't remember if you'd actually started yet or if you were just kind of hanging out after hours at that time. Do you remember?
0: That's—you know—it's funny. I actually—I don't remember if it was in early January. Then no, I Mm -hmm. may not have even started yet. I think I came in early to help the team move into the new office because we were. So when I was interviewing, we were in that. Tiny little office, yeah. Uh, I think on Bush Street.
1: Yeah, yeah, right next uh, to Chinatown. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. Where I think everyone was sitting on each other's laps. Uh, <laughs> there were maybe four or five people in the office, one meeting room, and yeah, yeah and, and the team was moving all their stuff over to the new office. Uh, and I just I was too excited. Like I just wanted to to hop in early and and hang out with the team as much as I could. I like, I know that you know this because we've talked about this before. But it was a team that. That sold me, so I want to spend as much time as possible with them, even though I didn't get started just yet. So it may have been, if it was in early January, then yeah, I, I wasn't even, start, I didn't even start working at JumpStart yet. And yeah. I think we, I, I think I just stuck around because, because there's a football there, and you were there.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we ended up, yeah. I mean, we we picked up the football and just started kind of throwing it yeah. around and talking and. I mean, we ended up talking for probably about two or three hours that night because um, yeah. I remember at one point, Caitlin called you and you were like, oh shit, Like I completely forgot I was supposed to meet her for dinner.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, hey, I'm sorry. We're going to have to postpone that, that date night. I'm talking with Derek and tossing around football. The, the cool thing is that, so Caitlin knows that when I'm tossing around something, whether it's a football or a Frisbee or a zip yep. chip or a baseball <laughs> cat or whatever, right? Like, I I will toss shit around and she knows like, Hey, if Warren's tossing things around, like he's having a really good conversation with
1: somebody. Oh yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, really during that conversation, I mean, I just kind of learned how much we had in common. I mean, you know, we had a lot of similar interests. Um, I mean, we had both worked on just a wide variety of Mm -hmm. projects. Um, You and Caitlin had actually just gotten married the year before. And I was, you know, mentioning to you that I was about to, you know, get engaged to my now fiance. And, you know, we'd spoken about some of the projects and companies we had worked on. Um, And really, Um, you know, you can look at Warren's resume and it speaks for itself. He was a designer up at Sony in Toronto. He co-founded a company that put out over 40 Android apps in one year. Um, He led design at a startup that was acquired by LinkedIn and then led some design teams at LinkedIn's office in San Francisco for a few years and uh, of course, he was actually working at BlackBerry back in its heyday as well.
0: I promise you, for for any sorry to interrupt for anyone who's listening right now, uh, there was a point where BlackBerry was really cool. It was, it was, it was. Like, it so, was. I, I still remember when I got the job offer. At BlackBerry it was like the equivalent of like a oh, you just got a job at like Google, at Facebook. Yeah, you, you know, like mm-hmm. like set like one of these are kind of like almost like up and coming big players in the game. And I was maybe 17 or 18 at the time. And and I was like, holy shit, I made it. Like I could retire, right? (laughs) But yeah, so BlackBerry, a couple startups, made a couple Android apps.
1: Well, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I mean, actually, that's probably a good segue into one thing that I'm really interested in talking about, which is kind of my favorite Warren fun fact. (laughs) So if you actually go and Google Warren... The first thing that comes up isn't a design profile. It's the musician's profile Uh and, you know, all the links to Spotify, all the links on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're a designer, you're, you know, you're building these apps, you're working at some pretty big companies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How do you, how do you get into music? I mean, like, what is the drive to just get you into music?
0: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm halfway embarrassed, halfway glad that you found all that music stuff.
1: That used to be one of my favorite things at the office was when Warren would just pick up the guitar and just pluck away at it. I mean, it was oh, just yeah. so relaxing.
0: That's right. I did, I did bring an acoustic guitar to the office. That, that, that was like how you know that I made Jumpstart Home where I was like, okay, I'm bringing a guitar to the office. Um, <laughs> but I always loved some sort of creative outlet. And I actually do feel like music production is oddly similar to different elements of design. And so with music, I, I spent a lot of time doing that actually in high school. A uh, lot of time, like hours per day. I was doing a mix of like Photoshop for a couple hours, music for a couple hours.
1: And what was the driver for both of those? I mean, was it just you wanted to do it? That was it?
0: Just passion. Yeah, just passion. Um, after Caitlin and I got married, we had a conversation. So this wasn't too long ago. This was like two years ago or something. we had a conversation talking about what we would do if we weren't doing what we were doing which you know for me was design for her was doing like or running a compensation team in the mm-hmm. hr field and when when she asked me that i was like oh man i mean i'd probably do music like i love music yeah. and she was like well why don't you do it you never do it anymore i was like well i'm always working like i have all this stuff going on and i was like plus like you know the equipment I mean look like you're Derek your setup right now is sick I can see the mic I can see some nice mm-hmm. headphones on I can see your sound booth like the setup is not cheap it's not cheap and she was like yeah but like you work just mm-hmm. go go buy what you need I was like oh shit you're right I'm not like a 15 year old anymore you're right yep <laughs> so so Caitlin dragged me to the guitar center mm-hmm. uh, we put in like maybe five hundred dollars Set up a home recording studio, and then I put out like seven shop or Spotify songs. I almost said Shopify because they rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 with that said, when I asked Caitlin what she would do if she wasn't doing, what she was doing, mm-hmm. you know, working in tech and HR, her answer was that she would start a bakery. Um, like Caitlin is a very talented, very 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 talented. Her baked goods are incredible. I'm still surprised that I'm not obese. <laughs> very surprised. <laughs> A lot, a lot of nights in the gym to to offset yep. those cupcakes. With that said, Kayla and I just thought it over. Like, hey, this is what it's going to cost us. This is what we need to do. This is exactly like how we can bring this to life and try it. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to lose money. Let's give it a shot.
1: And I mean, you know, you're you're looking at it and saying the same thing that you said with the songs was this is something that she that she loves. This yeah. is something that she is going to be very passionate about or is very passionate about. Yeah. And so fuck it. Let's just go and do it.
0: Absolutely. And so, so we did it. We wound up, we wound up running that for maybe half a year and keep in mind at the time I was, I was leading a design team at LinkedIn Mm. during the week, um, which was was (laughs) a lot of work. And uh, Caitlin was leading a compensation team at Cruise Automation. It's incredible. Yeah. And that was a ton of work. And on weekends we were running Spoonwood Bakery. So we had a lot of friends help us out and we also tried to profit share
1: See, I love that you had a lot of energy and excitement about it, but you also had just a great support yeah. network and a great environment that you set yourself up in. Um, and just people that were working with you were just, it made you excited to keep going with it.
0: Totally. I mean, it's, it's all about the people at the end of the day. I, I think about with every single one of the jobs I've worked at, the ones that I've loved is because of the people, the ones that I've hated were also because of the people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it comes back to, you know, really the idea of, of culture. I mean, there's a lot of, especially the last couple of years, you know, there's been a lot of talk of investing in, in culture. Um, and I mean, you know, it's, it's used as a really a way to attract talent, a way to keep talent, but in the end it comes down to, you know, is someone happy with the job that they're working with? And if they are, you know, they're going to produce, you know, 10 times more just because they, they love the people they work with, like you mentioned, and they've got a passion for it. Yeah. Um, and you know, one thing I was really interested on was, uh, was LinkedIn. So, you know, everybody that I've met that's worked at LinkedIn, you know, when they talk about the environment or the culture of LinkedIn, I mean, it's not just something that, you know, they wrote down on some paper and said like, Oh, here's, here's our values. Here's our culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they kind of live it. Um, I mean, you know, totally. I, most, I think it's most people that have worked there. You can ask them what the motto is and you know, they can spit, you know, even if it's not verbatim, they can spit a good amount of it out pretty quickly. Totally. I mean, they're a huge company. What, what do they do to kind of keep attracting people that are, that not only are so like-minded, but you know, are just fun to work with.
0: Yeah, man, I have, I have so many thoughts on this because, because LinkedIn is a very special place. So here I, Mm -hmm. I got acquired into LinkedIn. I had absolutely no intention of staying longer than a year right? I, I, I'm a, I, I like to think of myself as a startup guy at heart. And when we got acquired, we, a couple of us got together. and. We,
1: Sorry, I was going to say the, the startup was acquired in 2015?
0: That's right. Yeah, April 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you know, our, our plan was is that we're just going to bust our asses for a year, collect that 25% one-year vest cliff, and go do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 was, that was the original goal. Yeah, And and here, I'll, I'll tell you a couple things that stuck with me with LinkedIn. One of them was that the, the day I started, my manager, Joanne, came over to me and she said, hey, we're so happy to have you. We're, we're so lucky to have you. Now, we also understand that this is not going to be your last destination. You will want to have another job after LinkedIn. Let me know where you want to be, what you want to learn, and how I can help set you up so that whenever you choose to move on to your next play, you're going to be set up well for that, and then like you're you're going to get what you want at the end of that.
1: Yeah. So they're setting up a great support system for you.
0: Yeah, and and, and like you know, most places before that, they were like, oh, like if you you can't leave here, mm-hmm. right? Like, welcome to this new company. Like people don't leave, yep. and and I like I, I think that that's that's usually how people kind of tackle it. And and when they told me, hey, you're not shackled in here, you have an out. I was like, well, shit, I don't want to leave. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd love to stay. And that, like, if you, if someone opens the door for you and you realize you can walk out whenever you want, you're like, hey, maybe I'll stick around, <laughs> right? With that said, it, it was also a place where it, it it fostered all all the different things that I wanted to work on. So, um, you know, within a couple of, I think within a year and a half maybe, I was able to grow from like a regular designer to a senior designer. And I felt like I got like a pseudo master's degree from watching all the amazing designers around me. And... My goal though at LinkedIn, my goal became how do I get more experience with leadership in there? Mm-hmm. And that wound up being exactly what happened about maybe two years into my experience with LinkedIn, I had this phenomenal team. I think I think I lucked out because I had like the best intern of of all time named Joseph. And then that queued me up to have an amazing team mm-hmm. of designers and, and and we we worked on designing the LinkedIn homepage in the Mm newsfeed. And it was just it was just amazing. Like like every of course there were stressors, of course there were projects that maybe we didn't agree with totally, but the at the end of the day, the mission that LinkedIn's trying to tackle, which is connecting people to opportunity, I I mean like how how can you not
1: be excited about that?
0: Yeah, how can you not be excited about it? It's noble. It's it's like just difficult enough that you know that you have a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. before achieving it. And we also knew what our like core values were as a company, and some of them that meant a lot to me were humor and transformation, mm. and compassion and collaboration. Like those are all core values and pillars that make up everybody who comes in. They they kind of interview them on that, and then as a design leader interviewing people, you knew exactly what you were trying to tease out of people, which was quality, leverage, leadership, and results. But, but yeah, so there's just this this notion of like. LinkedIn knew exactly who they wanted to bring in the door. And even though it was like, quote unquote, like-minded people, I think that the the only similarity between them is that they're all diverse. Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it's being around that diverse group of people and really just being adaptive as well. You know, if you bring somebody in that's able to just kind of bring something to that environment, I mean, it just, it makes everybody, it makes everybody 10 times better.
0: Exactly. It's just one of the best cultures in the Bay Area.
1: hmm well, and that, and that's a big thing too, is, I mean, you know, especially when it comes to, to San Francisco and the tech industry in general, yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, there's a lot of talent and a lot of people competing for them. Um, I mean, you know, really talented mm-hmm. people have kind of had their, their pick of companies um, over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of, oh, we're going to have a great culture to be above and beyond. It's, you know, in order to compete, we've got to invest in our people.
0: Totally and and employees see through it right like if if you if you say like oh yeah we invest in people and all that kind of stuff and you don't employees know
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right and and unless unless they feel like they have a leadership team or management team or a manager who authentically cares about them and cares for their well-being cares about their progression cares about uh just them as human beings in and out of work unless they have that they're not at least I believe that they're not going to be happy.
1: Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. And I mean, you know, it's it's kind of expanded out of just in tech as well. Um, I mean, you know, it's always been mm-hmm. a big focus for the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, it's expanding into a lot of different under, other industries as well, which is, you know, a focus on your people, investing in your people. That's right. Um, and I think, you know, really, just like you said, it creates this this energy where everybody kind of feeds off each other. Um, and actually that, that's kind of a a segue into something I was really curious about and would love really just some of your insight on, which is, um, so you've been in San Francisco for, for what, about four or five years now?
0: Uh, six ish. Yeah.
1: So six years, you know, you've been there and, you know, I feel like the city kind of used to be this exact same way. You know, it was this energy of just a lot of people around, you know, working on a bunch of different things and, you know, just like with your friends, you know, somebody would start to work Mm -hmm. on a project and people would kind of jump in and help them out or they join. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I originally came into San Francisco, uh, for an accelerator in 2013 and you know, it, it just had this crazy energy every time I was there. I almost feel like every time I'm up there now, it's, it's not there anymore. Um, I feel like the city's just kind of changed. Um, I mean, is this, is this something that, you know, it's just kind of very one-sided for me because you know, I'm living in LA and popping back and forth between there and San Francisco, or, I mean, is this something that you kind of see as well?
0: And it's, it, it's a good question. And it's a, it's a tough one. I do feel like 2013 was a very special year for, for the Bay area. Like yeah. I remember in, in the, the early 2010s was when I, I just had my sights set on moving. Right. And and I knew there was mm-hmm. no place I wanted to be other than the Bay area. And when I first moved, I moved to the South Bay. I lived in a couple of hacker houses And whenever I had like meetings or things like that in the city, that's when I went there and I felt it. And I was like, this is, this is a place where people want to get shit done. They want to innovate. They want to make the next big thing. I think that what's it, it may not be that SF isn't the same anymore. And it may be more so that other cities are catching up in terms of what they Hmm. offer in terms of the innovation that they offer. I also think that, Part of the excitement about San Francisco, and I, I think it comes and goes in waves. Um, but part of the excitement was the notion that not everything has been done yet, and there are all these un- there's all this untapped potential and innovation. And it feels like when you go to SF now, it's you know it's flooded with the bigger companies, which isn't a bad thing, necessarily, but I think if you're an entrepreneur, how are you supposed to start a business when you are paying like ten thousand a month for your mm-hmm. tiny little office? And you're paying an engineer 250K a year to try to build your prototype, like it's impossible.
2: Yeah. Right? It's very yeah.
0: challenging. Plus, if you start a company there, the odds of you, first of all, you're gonna overpay your people because that's that's what the market rate is for them. But then also there's a high chance of losing them because the turnover, the the average tenure at any company is like barely 18 months. Wow. So it's something where it's difficult, and that's what that's what San Francisco is, and, and I think it's good for employees, not always good for employers, sometimes not so good for employees either, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see other places like Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Austin, Colorado, just to list mm-hmm. a few, where some of these larger tech companies are starting to branch out and say, hey, we need to move offices here. And I think that that looks like the same level of opportunity that used to be in San Francisco where, hey, housing is more affordable, talent is more affordable, and there are a lot of ideas that haven't really made it out here yet. I can be the first.
1: No. And that, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, so you and Caitlin are, you know, currently working on your new project right now. We are, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that begs the question of, are you guys, are you guys thinking of building this in San Francisco or, I mean, how are you guys thinking of approaching this?
0: Yeah. What a, what a phenomenal question. It's just, it's, and the reason why I say this is because we talk about this every day <laughs> where like, look, we, we are, we are currently living in San Francisco our apartment is currently in san francisco but as you and i are talking i'm sitting in an airbnb in washington dc because we are currently exploring we drove all we we drove we've driven all around the west coast um earlier this month we are now driving all around the east coast and we're trying to find a place that feels a little bit more like home and maybe a place that's closer to home given the fact that caitlin's from pennsylvania and i'm from toronto and you know we're just noticing that a lot of life is happening with our families and we're not there for most it because we're in the bay area mm-hmm. so with that said we we do have a network in san francisco and it's enticing and, and that it's enticing to stay there and to start a business there but we are also trying to trying to kind of similar to i think what you're looking into and in the the ideas that you're exploring we're trying to we're trying to do business a little bit differently we don't want to be the typical company mm-hmm. that goes and raises a couple million in, in VC money for a seed round and winds up hiring a bunch of really expensive people that and squeeze them for everything they have and everyone's stressed out all the time and it's not a marathon. Yeah. It's just a series of sprints over and over and over again until we burn out and either make a lot of money or lose a lot of money, but definitely uh, take a hit to the mental health oh, yeah. area. And and so so we, we want to do the opposite where... Our our first engineer lives in Romania. Oh wow! And and what we want and our one of our top advisors is living in Toronto, and uh, our sales like the, our head of sales is living in uh, West Virginia, and we're kind of almost nomadic right now. So we're we're hoping to to kind of offer a different work environment than the typical company would. We want to offer less working hours, um, I found that when people tell me to work less, I often feel a lot more passion towards it and maybe even work smarter.
1: Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like a requirement.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, and and I realize this is a really long way to answer your question, which is, will we be based in San Francisco? Possibly. Um, but are we going to be exclusively, like, like, will we require people to physically be in an office for nine hours a day in San Francisco? No.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense and I mean you you touched on it perfectly. It's it's thinking differently about how to approach work and it's working smarter, really. Yeah. And you know, you you mentioned this a little bit and I'd love to dive a little deeper, you know, just the idea of focusing on you know, one's health, one's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you know, we we people have been talking about it more and more today, but I think it's something that's just not addressed enough personally okay. that, you know, being in a good headspace. I mean, you know, What do you, what do you think about this? I mean, you think it's something that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we have to focus on more. I mean, what do you personally do to kind of focus on your health?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I, I love that. And and so yeah, mental health is, is so, so important to me. I think it's, it's because I'm also, I'm pretty naturally anxious person, even though I'm generally easygoing, I, I overthink everything. And I also realize that when you the 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 only way to get around that that notion of overthinking is to get away from it, right? And to to stop working and to take a breather. That's also, you know, working in the in the design space. The only way to be creative, creativity real creativity comes from boredom. (laughs) So what what my goal is is like to try to be as bored as I can as often as possible. And I know it sounds it sounds ridiculous right but you know even even just taking a walk or only working in 90 minute sprints and you know things like that but but for me it's also making sure that I don't compromise on the things that I consider to be uh, like really healthy so one of them being working out I've, I've worked at startups before where I don't even go to the gym for for like a year because there's just so it's so demanding and and i I, I kind of refuse to do that going forward mm-hmm. and I, I think that when I work out I'm quicker I'm sharper I'm happier, I feel better I'm physically and mentally stronger so it's something yeah. to, to to not let slip by the wayside. I think that on top of my own personal health is also my relationship health it's incredible so I, I mean like i I know I know that obviously you get this mm-hmm. but like you know family comes first to me and and my marriage absolutely comes before everything else mm-hmm. and when when you think about why 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 one works it's because you you try to work to earn money uh to then spend your time well yeah right so when i do anything when i take any job of course there's there's a lot in it for me which is like yeah i want to do this i want to learn this i want to get experience with this i want to like you know boost myself in some way or another but mostly because i want to make sure that caitlin and i have a great life i do think that in maybe like a hundred to two hundred years People are going to be studying the way that Silicon Valley or Bay Area or tech, whatever was between the years of 2000 and 2030. And they're going to be like, holy shit, it was, it was like borderline slavery.
1: And I mean, it comes from, it comes from that. I mean, it's, you know, we, we learn from, I mean, we learn from our mistakes and others mistakes. And I think that we're kind of having a renaissance into that right now where, you know, yeah, the 2009 to 2013 time, you know, that kind of big boom when everybody was just kind of yeah. building and it was just grind, grind, grind. But, you know, those people that were grinding that were, you know, in their early to late twenties, you know, they're, they're in their thirties and forties now with a family and they're realizing this doesn't scale. This doesn't work for the long run. There's more information out there and people are realizing that there, there is another way of working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why some companies have adapted, there have been others that have kind of pushed back on it and said, you know, this is, I mean, this is honestly, they're, they're either lazy or it's bullshit, but Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think it's, you know, things are evolving and things are changing. You know, you you have to be able to adapt to just survive now. I mean, you know, it's not a matter of staying ahead of your competition. It's if you are not adaptive, you will not survive today. And that comes from both an employee and an employer side.
0: Yes. Yeah. Extremely well said. And, and I think that in terms of maybe why employers don't do it or, or, or wouldn't be so quick to embrace this whole notion of being more lenient and giving people more time off and Maybe being less demanding is because they're they're afraid of, of what that means. And and mm-hmm. look, as as somebody like you get this, as somebody who runs your own company and you hire people, of course you want a certain quality and amount of work or value delivered for the m- mm-hmm. most minimal amount of money that you have to spend to get that thing out there, right? So so it's like you you can you can absolutely empathize with somebody who is probably like squeezing every last drop out of an employee you can empathize why they do that but i think that they just don't know what the real benefits are when you when you trust somebody and you give them autonomy and you let them do their thing of course some people are gonna or will abuse that that level of autonomy and you have to be quicker to fire than you are to hire
2: mm-hmm.
0: but i think that the right people and if you're if you're working with the right people they're going to do so much more with that, and they're they're going to they're going to give you a lot more, and they're going to feel more fulfilled and feel like they're spending their time well, and will ultimately be happier, and then provide better work and give a better, like produce a better product.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's it's scary at first too. I mean, you know, when you when you have to give up that much uh, control or even just put that much trust in a person that says like, oh yeah, I'm going to attempt to do this. You know, you you Mm -hmm. may just be scared because you're like, oh my God, like what if he spends four weeks working on this and it's just a dud? Yeah. But I think you're right. You know, you, you have to, you have to trust not only your, your people, but that you hired the right people.
0: That's right. Well, yeah, there's, there's that, there's that famous quote. I have no idea who it's by, but just take your time hiring, but be quick to fire.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think, I think you hit on it perfectly. You know, you, you have to. I mean, you just kind of have to take the punches today. Um, you know, things are things are changing so fast, not just in society but in business. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the one example I love to look at is uh, is Figma.
2: I love Figma.
1: Oh yeah, for for those of you that don't know, Figma is a design software that is used to create uh, you know user interfaces that is kind of a cross between you know I would say Google Docs and you know the Adobe design suite mm-hmm. or if you're familiar with Envision. But the the great thing about Figma is, you know, it's kind of like the de facto design tool. I mean, every designer I talk to now just loves it, but they just came out and I think it was like late 2016. Um, yeah, that's right. And I mean, they, they completely changed the game. I mean, you know, it just, everybody uses it now. And I mean, like when, when did you first, you know, find out about Figma?
0: Well, funny, funny enough. So I found out about Figma roughly around a time that it was, um, launched and at the time so so here i was one of those guys that used adobe photoshop for about 12 years and i was designing all my interfaces on photoshop which photoshop is not really designed or built for that they now have adobe xd to do that um but i was using photoshop when i came to linkedin it was split between photoshop and sketch and what, or Photoshop, Sketch, and Illustrator, and what wound up happening was that people couldn't collaborate because designers couldn't share their files with each other. So they, the company made, it was a company-wide decision that every designer had to use Sketch. And I remember being a little bit worried about it and concerned because I spent, like I thought that my livelihood was tied up and my, like, my, my ability to produce design work was tied up in Photoshop. And it was scary to move to something else until I hired Brian. And I heard about Figma years before. And and by the way, Derek, with almost every new design tool that comes out, I give it a shot for at least a couple days. And then I either make a call on yes or no on whether or not I'm going to move forward with it. With Figma, I don't think I ever gave it a shot up until Brian came. He said, hey, are you using Figma? He's like, no. He's like, well, you're in for a treat. Try Figma. And <laughs> a part of me wanted to say no. And, and, and Brian just insists. He's like, hey, man, just try it if you don't like it. We can always go back to it. Like, you're, you're the guy who leads design here. You make the call. I'm like, all right, all right, I will try it. And I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. It, it it offers the best of every other design tool, um, but it puts it in the cloud. And one of the biggest game changers for me was the ability to not carry on a laptop everywhere. And I'm just so grateful that, that Brian came around and, the, I mean, not only was he a phenomenal designer and it was amazing to work with him, but also just introduced me to some new shit that, you know, as I guess somebody who's been in the industry for a couple of years, like for him, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm," he was like, what, a year out of school or something. So, so he was still fresh and he, he knew all the cool shit that I just wasn't exposed to yet.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, which is society just has changed so rapidly that, you know, if you look back at 30 years ago, you know, you go to college, you, you learn a skill or, you know, you learn how to use some kind of software and yeah you know maybe that software gets updated over the next couple of years but i mean you know yeah. you could learn something and that could get you through your entire career right. whereas you know today i mean you know even in even in this example you know you had been working in photoshop for 12 years yeah and you had i mean is it safe to say that you kind of had to adapt to figma especially with where design is today
0: yeah i absolutely had to and, and even still with with the so i mentor a handful of designers and like right after I, I discovered Figma, I sat down with every one of them and said, like, you must switch to Figma now. Like it, it is, it's just something that you have to do to progress in your design career. You must use Figma.
1: And it's, it's no longer something that you have to do to stay, to, you know, be above the competition. It's just to be able to keep up with everybody. You have to continue to
2: learn.
0: Yeah. And, and I like that, that's the thing that I think is really common with, Regardless of whether or not you're a designer, or an engineer. I like with engineering, I can only imagine because every time I think that I have cracked like some new code, you know, like some new language I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like dude, I used to use when I made my Android apps back in the day, I used Eclipse. Oh yeah. And I I did Java and XML. And like that's that's how I made my Android apps. And when so how long ago is this? This is maybe Well,
1: I was going to say if you're using Eclipse at that point I'm saying, if it was a, the de facto it's like 2012 probably around there 2013 because right before Android Studio kind of got yeah, big.
0: Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was like it was like pretty much it was, it was like it was like 7 8 years ago. Which is it's weird to say out loud, but Right. Then <laughs> then there, there came, you know, there was like IntelliJ and suddenly like that was like the cool thing and then Android <laughs> Studio and like I I think it might still be Android Studio, but I remember opening it up and looking at it being like, I don't know how to make Android apps anymore. And there's the mm-hmm. point where I made 50 in one year and I don't know how to even even do that right now. And of course, like, yeah, I can go and I can sit down and try to figure it out and like start panning out a couple new ones, but it just, you know, it keeps changing and I I like to think it keeps changing for the better. But the one thing that every single industry every role has in common is that whatever what like whatever you are doing now for your job today. Is going to be completely outdated within the next five years. Yeah. So, so the the better you are at adapting and learning, the better you like the more successful I think you will be in the future because you're if you're a designer right now, I promise you it's going to be so different in five years. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just it's a guarantee.
0: Yeah, and and I saw I I saw the the career of a designer transform tremendously, Um, even even just over maybe like a five six year span where. When I was getting started I was predominantly a visual designer. UX or like you know the the whole notion of like research and interaction design and research and even motion design like that that wasn't it wasn't so much part of what a designer did. Mm. A, a lot of what we did was was we would design a website that was like a static landing page on Photoshop and then spit it out on Dreamweaver and and we you were a web designer. Yeah. Right? And then and then now your your job is so different. It's there's so much product strategy There's so much like motion and interaction design that's involved in it. Visual design and branding is kind of almost like a separate role. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a totally different job Yeah, and it's it's important to be able to adapt to that.
1: No, I I think that's a great point. And, you know, just like you said, I think that's kind of where everything's going. It's, you have to be able to adapt. And I mean, you know, really, really kind of, and that leads me to my last question really, which is. I mean, where do you see kind of the biggest changes in in business over the next couple of years? I mean, you know, this could be in specifically design or anything, really. I mean, there are just so many changes. What are you seeing right now, Um, especially as you're diving in and, you know, creating this next company?
0: Yeah, that's, man, great question. I I mean, I think that everybody's job is slowly, especially and here, I can really only speak for tech, Mm -hmm. but I think that in tech, like your, your job is whether you're a designer, engineer, product manager, data scientist, you name it, I think that that the role is kind of converging into just problem solving. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that all these things that were historically really difficult to do are becoming easier and easier. So even as a designer, that was something that people just couldn't do. Like five years ago, like you had to hire someone that was an expert yeah. at design. And if you think five years before that, you have to hire someone who's an expert at Flash. Okay. Oh, and <laughs> right? And, and they were making your website. And, and they had to know Action and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and now you can go and use either Weebly or Wix or Squarespace or Shopify or whatever or Webflow to essentially do the very basics of what you need to create a new product. Yeah. Right? So it's becoming cheaper to to enter the market it's becoming easier and there are less barriers in terms of skill and talent required to do it and i think that the the future is going to be like everyone's going to know how to make a website everyone's going to know how to make an app everyone's going to know how to design everyone's going to know how to code like everyone will know all that stuff the same way that that reading and writing is just it's so prominent yeah and and the the whole question is just going to be and and maybe this is me as a designer, maybe like being a little bit biased, but it's gonna be more so understanding like the direction that society's moving and understanding what customer pain points there are and like different problems you want to solve. And that's that's sort of the direction I think it's going. And then in terms of like that's that's from like the pure tech side. But then in terms of like how we work, I think that that's also fundamentally changing. I think over the last five years, we saw the gig economy start to grow,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And I think that with the gig economy, there's also the remote economy that, that comes hand in hand with that. I also think that very, very fortunately that soon to be gone are the days where you have like some slave driving boss yeah. who is mean to you and doesn't treat you well and pays you the bare minimum. Like I think, I think that's almost at the door.
2: Yeah, I Where I think
0: like those, those people will not be able to retain talent anymore. And especially with talent being able to, to really, especially in tech, just move wherever they want, whenever they want if things aren't going extremely well for them they're going to leave
2: mm-hmm.
0: and b- before anybody you know thinks or chimes in and says like oh these like fucking millennials these days are so lazy and like they want so much and all that kind of stuff the i think the the thing that i have to say back to that is they millennials and gen z expect a lot out of their work because right now they're being asked to do it all day every day right so if you're if you're in a world where you are just connected to your work 24 seven, then yeah, it's fair to expect that it's a positive experience. And I think that companies that don't provide a positive experience will fall apart. Um, and I think that positive experience means more than one thing. Like it's a positive employee experience.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It also means being philanthropic. It means doing social like social things that are good for society. I mean, like we're already seeing the backlash of certain, uh, results i think of social media
2: yeah
0: right and to be to be totally honest with you even there were times where i struggled with some of the product that that i was working on when i worked on a newsfeed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: right and and i yeah I, I just think that the the businesses of today and tomorrow are going to be more aligned to social good and making sure that people are happy because we, we're already living in like a world where there's a lot of abundance and it's, it's a matter of now like, how do we make it good Abundance not necessarily just abundance for the sake
1: of it. Yeah, and I think that's extremely well said um, I think you touched on I Mean you you made some great points on just where things are going Thank and you. I think you you almost hit it on on the exact point on Why this next generation expects so much? Um, you know the the always-on mindset is I a hundred percent agree is the reason why society is just changing so much and really will continue to change.
0: Yeah. With, with that said, like, you know, I think about some of the some of the apps that I used to work on and not not to say that 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 I've ever worked on anything that was like unethical by any means, mm-hmm. but it's more so that there, like I almost didn't care about the mission behind it and I think that LinkedIn was the company that changed that. For me.
1: Yeah, you just you just wanted to build.
0: Yes, I just wanted to build because that that was where my passion lay, but but you know, at the same time, when I got to LinkedIn, I realized like, hey, the, the mission is to connect people to opportunity. I was like, shit. Imagine if you can build and like work on your craft, but then also help society. And for that reason, I can never now work at a company that that doesn't do something that is like completely social good. And and I've you know I've been reached out to by companies where and like this is this is maybe an exaggerated version of some of the companies I've, I've been reached out to by. But like you know, they'll say. Hey, do you want to work on this like cutting edge technology that helps convert your dog fur color to see what it would look like if you dyed your dog's hair or something?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, well, I mean, there was a quote a couple of years back where it was like, the smartest people in the world are working on ways to get you to click more ads.
0: That's right. And, and it's, dude, I I can talk for, I, I can literally talk for hours about the whole notion of engagement being the end all be all of a company's metrics and, and that being the wrong thing. And, and learned a lot of lessons at my time at different companies. The so so here I'm just going to go on a quick tangent here no, of course. where in 2012 it was extremely okay to say I want to make a product that is sticky. I want to like I want to build a product that is addictive and that people are obsessed with. And like that was okay. That that was, that was a thing that that people felt is okay to say and well, do.
1: It wasn't just okay, it was it was the focus of so many products.
0: It was expected. It was expected of a tech product, and and that was something that that I remember feeling like a little bit weird about at the time. But I was like, well, like I mean, everyone's doing it, right? Like everyone's putting in, like you know. And, and it was these little gray things, and I, as a designer, especially, you you saw these things where you're like, okay, I'm going to switch the yes and no buttons to be from primary to secondary, so people are less likely to not pay for this thing. Yeah. And and that was that that was seen as okay and. I'm really happy that now in the very last month of 2019, that shit's not okay anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's that addictive, I mean, they made it into a drug. I mean, you know, people focused on this addictive behavior for smartphones. And I mean, you know, going back to what you were saying with mental health earlier, I mean, I mean, the tech industry, we can be very honest about this. It's the reason there was, there is a lot of unhappiness in society. And I mean, you know, it's because of the ways that we were building things. It was focused on that addictiveness. Yeah. And you know, I think that we're learning now that, you know, it's exactly what you said. You know, you can't just build for an addictive nature. I mean, that can't be your mission in life to addict people or you're just as good as a drug dealer.
0: Totally, man. Well, well said on that one. And I think that part of the problem, though, is it's not only on the, the builder, but it's also on, on the shareholder. Yes. Right, so so whether that's an like uh, your your typical investor or even or even people who invest in the public, like we see certain companies, and like, I'm not going to mention any big ones, but public companies that that like, let's say Netflix, for example, okay, where mm-hmm. with with Netflix, like they are competing with Sleep, like that 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 is their competition, and I know that yeah. now you have like Disney Plus popping up, and Hulu, and HBO, and Apple TV, like you have all the streaming services, and, and they are competing with Sleep. And I think that there are people that are investing in them. What they're looking for is how do they get more users? How do they get more users to spend more time? How do they get more users to spend more time and also watch maybe more ads, mm-hmm. right? Or pay for a subscription model. But what if instead there was a way that, that you got people in and out faster because they found more value in a shorter period of time? Yes. That business model, in, in today's day and age, that business model can never work. That company would go under because yeah. they're not hitting those engagement goals. And so even though we want to we want to slap those builders, those makers on on the wrist and be like, "Hey, fuck you. You're doing this to society." It's because they're getting positive reinforcement by their shareholders to do that.
1: Yeah. It takes somebody that almost you can say has already made it to a point where the money for them doesn't matter for them to do something about it. And, you know, a great example that I can look at is, uh, Ariana Huffington, um, you know, the creator yeah. of Huffington post, she started an initiative called, uh, thrive global, um, you know, focused on, you know, the mental well-being of people, uh, the mental, excuse me, the mental and physical well-being of people. And, you know, one of the first apps that they ended up developing was to show you, you know, how many hours and minutes you're using these apps and, you know, I know that iOS and Android have since, you know, adapted some of these types of features into their phones. And it, it's just incredible how much time people spend in these apps.
0: Dude, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look at the, the screen time app for me. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> especially in a day where maybe I'm particularly bored and spending more time on Reddit or particularly busy and using Google Maps. And then I see like, oh, you spend on average six hours per day yeah. on your phone. And you're like, well, fuck, but when it's, uh, but when I'm scrolling through a social feed for hours on end, like that's, that's not okay.
1: No, no. And it's, it's what they've been designed to do.
0: It is, it is. And so with that said, like, it's the same thing as you can, you can knock the people who are, who are doing it as much as you can, but then you also have to bake in the right incentives.
1: Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a great way to put it. I think that's a great way to put it. Well, I mean, Warren, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how much I enjoy every single one of our conversations, and uh, I can't wait for the next one. Um, but thank you very much for uh, being a part of the, uh, the conversation today.
0: Derek, thank you, man. I mean, it's, al- it's always a pleasure. I think my only regret was that we weren't tossing a football at the same time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what? Next time. Next time, we're going to get you down I- to LA, and we're just going to toss it around the whole time.
0: I love it. Thank you, man.
1: No, thank you very much, man. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Project. Now, as with all of our work, this interview is part of our ongoing research, and I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on the discussion. To weigh in, visit our website at fowproject.com or reach out on Instagram at project. We'll be sure to share the feedback on our social channels and it could be featured in an upcoming episode. And with that said, thank you for listening.